Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Before we begin this episode, I want to thank Modern Fertility, an at-home hormone testing kit for sponsoring this podcast and for offering all listeners $10 off their first order. Modern Fertility is the first comprehensive fertility hormone test for women that you can take at home. One in six couples have trouble conceiving. We have all of the tools to prevent pregnancy. However, we need more information in order to help us plan for it, even if kids are far in the future. Proactive fertility hormone tests often are not covered by insurance and can cost upwards of $1,500. However, at just $159, Modern Fertility sends you a super easy at-home test, which you complete, send back to them, and then receive your results in under 10 days. This test gives you access to the information you need in order to help you plan ahead and navigate the world of fertility. Modern Fertility also creates a customized report in order to help you understand your fertility through your hormones. The test can tell you if you have more or less eggs than average, what you could expect from IVF or egg freezing, how your hormone levels relate to PCOS, which 1 in 10 women have, and your general hormone health, which is a window into your broader health. You'll have a personal fertility team to help you understand your results and come up with a game plan. You get access to a team of fertility nurses, a weekly webinar, and their online community of other like-minded women. If you are currently pregnant or breastfeeding, the hormone test will not work for you. You can, of course, take it after this period of time to monitor your hormone health again. And if you are over 45 years old, the modern fertility test will not work either. With that said, if you want to go ahead and order Modern Fertility's at-home kit, you will receive $10 off as a Women's Pelvic Health Podcast listener. So go to their website, www.modernfertility.com backslash pelvic health, and make sure you enter the backslash pelvic health in order to receive those $10 off. And I will link this URL in the show notes as well. So I hope that Modern Fertility will help all of you to feel empowered and in charge of your hormonal health and to better understand your amazing body. Welcome back to the Women's Pelvic Health Podcast. Today, I'm here with Kristen Sapienza. Kristen is a pelvic floor physical therapist in New York City, and she is the founder of Fem First Health, a physical therapy practice and wellness center for women in New York. Kristen also is a patient in addition to a practitioner, so she has had her own experience with endometriosis, pelvic pain, and she just finished the process of egg freezing. So she has a lot of pelvic health-related knowledge to share with us. I'm very excited for this episode. She's the first person that I've talked to who is both a patient and a practitioner. Um, So thank you for being here. 
Thank you for having me, Hannah. Yeah. Thank you for what you do for the community. Yeah. Great. I love it. Thank you as well. Let's first start by talking about your experience as a patient and when these different pelvic pain-related conditions first came into your life. So. And how old are you as well? Oh, I'm 32 years old. Um, I started having some weird symptoms back in 2016. Um, It was a week at work where I had my period, my back and my neck both went out at the same time. So, and this is when you were training to be a pelvic floor physical therapist, like a few months beforehand, a few months beforehand. Yeah. I was going out to Colorado for a course Mm -hmm. and, um, I went to my gynecologist and I was like, Oh, this must be related to hormones. So she gave me a depot shot and everything was fine. It was probably the easiest thing I've ever done in regards to birth control. Mm -hmm. And um, six weeks later, I started bleeding continuously. Mm -hmm. And I bled for maybe three months straight. And I went to, I kept going to gynecologists that took my insurance. And they said, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And in the spring, right before I went out to Colorado for my training, I got an IUD. Um, I got to Colorado, learned so much in a Herman and Wallace course came back was really excited to start like my new practice as a pelvic floor physical therapist and I got severe pain it was all the time I would just be kind of cringing against the wall all day at work and I work a lot I probably see like at least 10 to 12 patients a day and I just couldn't I could barely function. I couldn't exercise anymore. I was still bleeding all the time. And I just kept going back to the doctor asking to do more imaging. I had several ultrasounds. And they would just say, oh, well, you just have cysts on your ovaries. There's nothing we can do about it. I would go to the ER at night after work. That probably only happened several times. And they would just say the same thing. And they would ask me, you know, do you have pelvic inflammatory disease? Have you been sleeping around? And I was like, are you kidding me <laughs> right now? Yeah. Um, so I actually just paid out of pocket to see this amazing doctor. Um, she did an ultrasound herself, and she could basically see everything on the ultrasound. Even though I'd been sent out to these radiology centers and in the hospital, she was just able to see um, she's said to me this could possibly be endo or and you have some adenomyosis which we can get into a little bit later as well and she then sent me for an abdominal ct and on that abdominal ct is where they confirmed that i had endometriosis so we you know surgery was always an option but obviously something you're not going to do right away so i tried a lot of different hormones and i continued to still have the iud that was releasing hormones and We were just talking about amitriptyline before and that Mm -hmm. just didn't help at all. So I got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. Can you talk for a minute about what type of pain you were having? I literally felt like my vagina was gonna fall out of my body. Your whole vagina was on pain, in pain? Mm -hmm. It's, um, It's kind of like someone is in there bringing out your organs. Was it burning and itching, or it was just no. painful? It was just really painful. painful. It's like someone yeah. was stabbing me. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So, I get, yeah, I finally just gave in to the surgery. Um, 
It was a three-hour surgery, and they had taken out a lot of scar tissue from the endo. And then afterwards, I for the follow-up visit, my surgeon was like, okay, from this day forward, you're doing a plant-based diet, you're going to PT, you're going to see a pelvic pain physiatrist, and we're going to help you get through this. Mm-hmm. She was great. Um, her name is Dr. Elizabeth Pointer, and she's here on the Upper East Side. Um, so I went through um, all the different doctors, and that's how I met Kara, who was my pelvic floor physical therapist. And mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, it was so great to work with Kara because we could talk about different things. And of course, I was just getting started as a pelvic floor mm-hmm. physical therapist. And I would ask her a million questions. I'd be like, oh, I have this patient. What do you think of this? What products do you like? But she taught me a lot and she gave me wonderful resources, which that's our mission as pelvic floor physical therapists is to give women the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. Pelvic floor disorders are not just about what's going on down there, but it's about what you eat and how you exercise and your activity and your mental health. Yeah, a lot about that. Yeah. yeah. And she introduced me to my pelvic pain physiatrist and my acupuncturist. And it's definitely, it takes a village for sure to heal from this. I think it took me about six months after the surgery where I finally felt better and Mm -hmm. felt like I had my life back. So when you started to feel better after the six months uh, post-surgery where you were seeing physical pelvic floor physical therapists and a physiatrist and changed the way that you were eating, what symptoms did you still have and at what level, scale of a pain level were they? So I would randomly get pelvic pain maybe once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. When you say pelvic pain, I really like this to know exactly, like was it in your abdominal area or was it in your vaginal area or bladder? Just because I'm always so curious and I'm sure that people listening have the exact same, not the exact, but something so similar that I'm sure everyone listening is curious where exactly your pain was, if you remember. Um, It's kind of, and I still get it today um it's kind of it's pretty low Mm -hmm. kind of like on your pubic bone type of pain right yeah okay so six months so you're feeling better six months I'm feeling better I started getting pelvic floor injections Mm -hmm. that have been really helpful and I feel like I've been able to do a lot more exercise still like exercise in moderation and I can't really jump or run but it's I'm able to do something and not be in pain, and it's the best feeling ever. Um, and after I was feeling better, my doctor said to me, uh, Dr. Emily Blanton, mm-hmm. she's helped me through part of this process, and she said, you have to go get your fertility checked out. And I was like, really? Another thing I have to do right now? <laughs> and um, I took my time with this. Yeah. And... Uh, a friend had told me about a clinic and it was free to go in and you know they take your blood work and they look at they do an ultrasound they look at your ovaries to see how many follicles you have and um, so I did that and then I made another appointment to go over the results and they told me that basically what they're looking for is this level called an AMH level which stands for anti-malarian hormone and it's a level that measures your ovarian reserve, so basically how many eggs you have. 
So the normal ranges are between 1 and 4. Mine was uh, 0.9, which is just right underneath, but um, it's in the fifth percentile for my age. So they told me right away, you need to take care of this and you need to start the freezing process. And because I know what hormones can do for the endo, I was scared to death. I was, I was like, I worked so hard and spent a lot of money to get to a place where I finally felt great. And I had asked them in that appointment, is my endo going to get worse? Mm -hmm. Am I going to need another surgery? And they said, possibly. So I, I was really scared. I just didn't want to go through this, and I put it off for a little, like a few months because mm -hmm. I just couldn't think about it. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. deal with it right there and then. And it was the end of the year, anyways. Yeah. Um, so I decided in the new year that I would go through this process, and I was about to go through this process. And of course, I have a lot of patients that have infertility issues, and they all talk to me about it. And I had one in particular who was like, well, what's the SART score of the clinic that you're going to? And I was like, Why? wait, what's that? <laughs> and um, it stands for the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology. And it's basically this, I guess you would say this company that looks at all the fertility clinics throughout the nation, and then they give them like a score. It's really interesting. Yeah, and the score is based off of how many embryo transfers result in a live birth. Mm -hmm. So the clinic that I was going to had a 25%, and the clinic that I originally um, chose to do all my egg freezing in had over 50%. So that's a significant difference. Really interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if like a lot of people are aware of this and that we can do this, is go and educate ourselves on um, all these stats. And I'm sure there's a lot of women out there who are desperate to have a baby and they are doing all of this research, but it's such a tough time for them that no one's out there sharing this whole process. So I wanna take this opportunity to educate women to get checked and look at their AMH mm -hmm. levels and give them kind of a peek on what goes on during this process. So I decided to go with this clinic. It's called CCRM. It's the Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine. Um, my doctor there was Dr. Jamie Notman. She was great. It was like just having a comfortable conversation with her. And she, there's four doctors there. They're all very nice. The staff is great there. Every time I walked in, they knew my name, even though it was a different person sitting there each day. I was That's amazing. Yeah. This is in New York or it's in Colorado? No, it's, it's actually in New York. They have several oh, locations so throughout the country. And do you know how these different clinics get that score? Is like how do you is is can a clinic be better at what they do and they just have a higher success rate because they're better at what they do yes okay so each clinic has their secret sauce got it on their like egg freezing oh concoction. okay okay that makes sense so back back to what you were saying okay so um yeah so i started the process with them it's it's a commitment for sure on top of working every day you um the first thing i did was 
I met with them and I met with, they have a great nursing staff and the nurses are the ones that talk to you every day. They talk to you through a portal and they tell you, okay, this is the medications that you're gonna do today. Um, that first nursing meeting, they teach you how to use each medication and then they tell you well, like all the pharmacies that you have to get the medication from. Mm -hmm. So you go ahead and you order the medication that day and then based off my blood work and ultrasound, they're like, okay, start today. Oh my God. <laughs> so, you know. Um, you were like, great, great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you do uh, your injections between, you do a morning injection and night injection um, between every nine and 12 hours. Mm -hmm. um, before I actually started the injections, I did uh, a patch. It's like an estrogen patch and that helps just to produce more eggs to prep everything. And then um, there's several different medications. The first two medications are called uh, Menopur and Folistim. So Menopur stimulates the ovaries to make eggs and the Folistim grows more follicles. So you do that for a few days and then you take this, on top of that you take this new drug called Ganarelix and Ganarelix actually prevents you from ovulating so that you can continue to grow your follicles wow. and get, create more eggs. And then you do, the last two shots are called HCG mm -hmm. and Lupron, mm -hmm. and that actually triggers ovulation. So you take that 36 hours before the time you're about to do your retrieval. So I was taking shots at like 1.30 in the morning Oh my gosh. And then I would be having my retrieval like the day after at like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. So it's very, very strategic. Yeah. And every clinic is a little different. How they, how they go about the process. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's like a mini surgery the day of the retrieval. It's only a 15-minute surgery, but you're there for three hours or mm -hmm. so recovering. Um, but luckily I, they is it are painful. Um, I didn't feel it was that painful. It was a little painful afterwards. Like the week after I felt like yeah. a lot of my endo symptoms came back, but then it was better after that. You just feel a little bloated. Like I was scared because people who had been through the process told me, well, I gained 10 pounds and I cried every day. And I was like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I can't imagine going through that. That's, but you were fine. I was fine. I was a little bloated. I was probably bloated like, you know, a few hours before the surgery. But it wasn't as bad as, you know, what I had heard from other yeah. people. Um, That's why you I, I sometimes think talking to less people is better because everyone's body has a different reaction to everything. So you're not going to know how your body's going to react to whatever it is you're doing based on what someone else said. It's interesting to hear, but it's also like you have to let your body go through the process and you can't, you know, get scared based on what someone else experienced because that really might not be the experience that you have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously I felt that this was something that just wasn't talked about. So I was like, I'll talk to anyone yeah. who went through this so yeah. I know what to expect, but... Yeah, I freaked myself out a little yeah. bit, and it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Um, I They were able to harvest 12, uh, 17 eggs in total, and 12 were frozen, which was actually great numbers considering what my AMH was. 
Um, but because I have endometriosis, they say that you have a much lower AMH. So that's, that's why I did this. And did, I mean, how long ago was this also now to put this in context? So I did it at the end of February. So you just finished this. Yeah. And so far you felt good in terms of the endo and everything else. Yeah, I do feel pretty good. I have to say that week was pretty rough afterwards. Um, You kind of like get a really bad period. Right. (laughs) And you just can't go in a pool or take a shower for 10 days. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, you can't take a bath or go in a pool for 10 days and you can't really do any high-intensity exercise or anything like that. Other than that, like it's been, I'm glad that you're feeling fun. good though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I think it's. I mean, I know it's fascinating that when these health conditions started to become a problem in your life, you happened to be also training to be a pelvic floor physical therapist. So is was that a total coincidence that you had this interest before or? Total coincidence, yeah. Um, How did you decide that this is what you wanted to do for a living before all of this happened? So I had been practicing for about five years at that point, and I was very frustrated as a PT that, you know, people would have pain for years and they weren't getting any better. Mm-hmm. And I I just knew that there was something, another way that I can help them, and that I just, like, all my patients ended up being females at my the clinic right. I'm currently at. So... You know, my boss helped inspire me, and he's like, you should go for pelvic floor training. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then that's when the bleeding started. And Wow. Yeah. I'm sure that being a patient also has such an influence on the way that you treat your patients. And I was even talking to Kara about this yesterday because I told her you were coming on the podcast. And she said, you know, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. And when you're a PT or a doctor, you can sympathize with your patients and you can feel badly for them and be upset by what they're going through. But to have empathy, you can't have that unless you've been through what they've been through. So as amazing as doctors and physical therapists and healthcare providers are, they can't empathize because unless they've been through what they're treating, but most haven't. So the fact that you have been through all of this and you're treating it makes you really be able to empathize with your patients. Yeah, um, no woman should be able to go through all of these pelvic pain disorders. Um, I I really feel that I can tell my patients, like, I understand what you're going through, yeah. and I can give them better resources after, you know, like, I have patients tracking what they're eating now. Right. Tracking, like, there's some great apps that let you... Um, write down your symptoms every day mm-hmm. and figure out like what are those drivers to pain we talk about exercise and like if they really enjoy a certain class like let's go through the elements of that class and let's take out what's gonna um, exacerbate your pelvic pain right and try this move instead mm-hmm. and it's super helpful because i know I used to do high intensity classes right before I ended up getting sick. Mm -hmm. And so now I know how to properly modify for that. Yeah. And stress levels and all of those things. And, you know, I have a lot of patients who end up crying on my table. And that's a very normal thing. I've been there. (laughs) I'm sure you have to. Yeah. (laughs) And 
you know, I say to them, like, I work with sex therapists. Right. Obviously, sex is another thing that gets affected from pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are you seeing someone who can properly allow you to talk about the things that you really want to talk about and give you the tools to manage that? That's something very important as well that doesn't get addressed enough. Um, also, too, like work modifications, like women who sit all day long yeah. have pelvic pain. Yeah. Um, so we have to, like, I'll write, get them, you know, I'll write them letters for standing desks mm-hmm. or, you know, like, let's talk about your routine. What's your, like, schedule like during the day? Can you stand for 30 minutes? Can, you know, like, go for a walk, do all these things to help change your habits so you don't have to suffer as much from this. Yeah. I notice that when I sit for long periods of time, I feel really not good after. Car rides. Car rides. Really long yeah. car rides. Airplane rides. I, yeah. Yeah. I really don't like airplanes. But, and um, it, And yeah. it's so much of the digestive and the yeah. bowel and bladder stuff is huge. Um, and people don't realize that. Yeah. Like, even when I see a patient for hip pain, I'm like, so, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about pooping. Let's mm-hmm. talk about pain. And then they'll open up and actually say, well, actually, sex is painful. Or, yeah, I'm mostly constipated all the time. I'm like, okay, well, we need to address this. If I can't help you, I'm going to refer you to someone who can. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the education with Instagram and these podcasts, we're finally helping women kind of solve these problems that they thought they couldn't get help for. I've had, throughout this starting this podcast, multiple friends come to me who have told me that sex is painful for them, and they think it's normal. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that they feel comfortable enough to share with me that they are experiencing this, and they know that I talk about these types of issues and that it is possible to solve them. But, you know, the real question is why do so many women think this is normal and, and why are we so uncomfortable talking about it? Oh, my God. So I know. And no and one talked about it 10 years ago. to Instagram yeah. and podcasts and social media and this new generation of technology, it is amazing that people are now starting to talk about it, but... Yeah, I'd say like half of my patients that come on with hip and back pain, 50% say sex is painful. Wow. Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, sometimes too, if someone has like a labrum tear in their hip or, you know, they could have underlying endo. Yeah. Or, you know, they could be on to have a lot of anxiety and they're clenching inside their vagina and that's creating some issues in their back or, you know, like in both of their hips. And they just feel like I'm constantly tight. Mm-hmm. So we're addressing all of those things. I even asked like male PTs or like other doctor friends. Yeah. I'm like, are you asking your patients these questions? They're like, no. Or I was like, do you need a pelvic floor PT? And they're like, no, I don't think that we do. And I was like, oh my god, you totally do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it it's kind of interesting. So I'll go and I'll market to mm-hmm. gynecologists in the city or obstetricians and. I'm like, who's your pelvic floor referral? I'm like, oh, we don't have any. And I know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. The amount of gynecologists that I have been to, especially when I first started experiencing symptoms a few years ago, I went to half a dozen gynecologists who said, there's no way you have any sort of pelvic pain-related problem. You haven't had a baby yet. Oh. And I was like, I mean, part of me believed it, 
at the time. But then when I finally found the doctor who did diagnose me with vulvodynia and pelvic floor dysfunction, I was mind blown that doctors had told me this was not a possible situation. I know. Um, I, it's based Why on Why don't gynecologists know about pelvic pain in young women? So there's it's a, crazy. It's those ACOG guidelines yeah. that just don't really educate properly. Which I think they're in the process of there's Changing. been some changes recently, especially with postpartum care. Mm-hmm. We'll see how long Which that takes. Yeah. To <laughs> Probably a while. Transfer into insurance, paying for it. Um, right. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that all we just talk about your symptoms. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you should hide or feel that is normal like if something hurts that's not normal if something especially in the vagina like nothing should hurt yeah totally if it hurts there's something going on Mm -hmm. and we need to address it and if you if you speak about it you'll be able to get help yeah exactly what it must be fascinating for you to have all this personal experience and then to treat patients and when they're talking to you about their stories you must be listening like I feel like you must find everyone's story that much more interesting because you can relate yeah it's very interesting and I can definitely relate but not that all... a, not, not that a normal PT wouldn't find it interesting but I feel like it must be on another level of interesting for you yeah and everyone's so different too yeah. like all my endo patients they can range from barely any symptoms to it is taking over their entire lives and I think about those patients at night, and I'm like, I wish I could help them with their nausea. Or right. what's another resource? Right. So I can, so this patient is not in pain. And to be honest, like pelvic floor physical therapy is expensive. Yeah, very. And, you know, I want to be able to provide the best care for these women because this is just not, mm-hmm. it's not fair anymore. Yeah. We have enough technology. We should be able to get more answers. And, Luckily, there has been so many people who have really getting on their soapboxes about mm-hmm. it, and it's been great. What? Well, I'm curious how the patients that you see who don't have severe endo symptoms, what led them to get diagnosed? Because I feel from what I know, I don't have endo, but from all that I've heard and learned and talked to people who do have it, I feel like it takes them to get to the point of pretty bad pain to then get diagnosed. So I'm interested to hear how someone with not many symptoms does get diagnosed i have to say and this is the great thing while we're doing this podcast about fertility is a lot of women don't find out they have endo until they have fertility issues oh that's really interesting Mm -hmm. wow i didn't know that so then when someone's really starting to investigate what's going on is when they find out so they could have lived a life essentially symptom free exactly and then they go, you know, they're trying to have a baby and it's very difficult. And that's when they find out and they may have to go for surgery for it. Wow. That's fascinating. It's either like um, there's certain, obviously there's certain degrees of endometriosis and it's kind of the low level ones that can create more fertility issues. Mm-hmm. And then the ones where you have constant pain and I mean, not to say that they don't have fertility issues because they do. But those are the people who are getting, like, an actual diagnosis. Right. Because they, it's taken over their lives. Right. And, and you touched on this a little bit before, but 
Are there any other ways that your experience as a patient has shaped the way that you treat your patients? Um, I make the conversations very open and out there. Like, there's a, a no judgment zone. So them being able to talk about everything in the open and tell them like I go through it I understand Mm -hmm. I think that is the best thing that I can do for them Mm -hmm. and the fact that I have like now I have tons of resources to help them and I know when I go in to do an internal exam and I'm palpating I know those exact muscles to go for and even when I have the pelvic floor injections I can you kind of feel that exact pain. Like I can feel pain in my back when I right. get a pelvic floor injection in a certain spot. And then I'm asking like my like physiatrist, wait, which one? Okay, okay. That yeah. makes total sense now. So yeah. coming from your perspective as a PT, mm-hmm. when you are being tr- treated by another PT, you know so much more as well. Mm-hmm. You know all the muscles that, that are being worked on. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and I'm just able to position patients mm-hmm. a little differently when they're like trying to get back to life. I'm like, actually, sit up a little bit more this way. And they're like, oh, I don't feel that pressure anymore. Right. It's like, exactly. Because that's like, I know myself, like those exact, like, like we were talking about like sitting. Right. Or people don't realize that they just slump a little bit and they can put a lot of now pressure I'm trying to there. Sit I know. <laughs> I want to take a quick break to tell you about an unbelievable company called Nunamed. Nunamed has created a urinary tract support tea made solely from herbs, which have been tested and proven to both prevent and treat UTIs. I can tell you from my firsthand experience that this product really does work. It even works to help calm my bladder in the absence of any infection. I've gotten lots of my friends and family members hooked on it, and it really is amazing to have an effective and natural solution to a quite common problem. The tea is proven to be 80% as effective as antibiotics, so I definitely recommend it if you are someone who suffers from chronic UTIs and are sick and tired of bombarding your system with antibiotics. However, I do want to make it clear that sometimes antibiotics may be necessary, so if you do have an infection, always consult with your doctor. With that said, if you head to nunamed.com and enter the promo code BUYUTI at checkout, you will receive 20% off your first order. Once again, that's nunamed.com, N-U-N-A-M-E-D.com, and the promo code is BY, B-Y-E-U-T-I. And that's the beauty of Instagram and social right. media. Yeah. So this whole egg freezing process, I really tried to document it mm-hmm. on Instagram to create awareness. And I had so many people reach out to me. It was I'm a really sure. great thing. And it was, for me, the first time really putting myself out there as mm-hmm. well. So it's been quite a learning experience. But I had a PT contact me in Florida. And she's like, oh, my God, we need this. We need Fem First Health in Florida. She's like, the closest people are like Tampa or Miami. Yeah. And, you know, no one's going to drive several hours for physical therapy each way. So we do need to keep growing this industry. I'm confident we will. We will. We'll do it. (laughs) Um, It must be rewarding to have these people reach out to you and to know, because it's hard to put yourself out there on social media and to share a personal experience with the world. But then when you have these practitioners and and other women who work in the same field as you do reach out it must 
feel rewarding. I know, you know, for me it does. I'm like, wow, this is when I get messages from people or get asked questions from other women who are suffering is when I really feel that I'm making an impact. Because mm-hmm. even though you know that you're doing amazing work, when people start to communicate that with you is when you really feel it, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think when you have pelvic pain, and even with the infertility issues that um, I've been kind of struggling with, um, I'm very angry yeah. at my body. I'm very yeah. angry at my reproductive system. Yeah. And I almost probably have to go to therapy for many years to like fall back in love with that again. Yeah. And the fact that we have so many resources and we have so many people to talk to now is helping me tremendously get through that. It's just put everything out there and right. help each other. Thank you for being one of the many amazing women who are like really starting to create awareness around this. Well, thank yeah. you as well. <laughs> Can we go through your top resources that you would recommend for people either experiencing pelvic pain or endo or infertility? What have been the resources that have helped you the most? Um, definitely. I mean, I have to say my resources and my resources in New York have been mm-hmm. super helpful. Um, I think I don't recommend going on Google and me neither <laughs> and making yourself more sick over it because I think it will. That, yeah, you will. Yeah. yeah, you will definitely stress yourself out more, which will stress out your pelvic pain. Yes. Um, but I actually, because we have so many people here these are the resources and all the women here have amazing instagrams and websites who are educating people we have so many pelvic floor pts here and so many pelvic floor pain specialists Mm -hmm. and they've been great and we have like informational summits all the time and you know we have a lot a lot of resources so but you can access you know these summits online Mm -hmm. as well so one is the pelvic health summit yeah And I think the website, I'll link all of this in the show notes, but I believe the Pelvic Health Summit website is www.pelvichealthsummit.com. That's a resource with a lot of free information that's really, really educational. Mm -hmm. I think we've tried, like, as a city to find the top resources and find the top research that will help women the most. Yeah. I'm not going to say men don't have pelvic pain. They do, but we're kind of, we're dialed women. into women yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And in the show notes, I'll also link, if it's okay with you, some of the doctor's names that you have seen and that have really helped you throughout the process. And my last question for you is if people listening want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? So you can email me at um, Kristen, K-R-S-T-I-N, at femfirsthealth.com and my Instagram handle is femfirsthealth underscore PT wonderful and I will link all of this information in the show notes as well so if people want to email you or follow you on Instagram which I definitely recommend there's a lot of amazing information that you put out on pelvic health women's health and Thank you so much for sharing your story and knowledge. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to rate this episode five stars and please leave a comment in the iTunes store 
so that we can increase the appearance of the show and spread the word on pelvic health and get more people listening to this. Thank you.